It's California State of Mind from Cap Radio and Cal Matters. I'm Nicole Nixon. And I'm Nigel Duara. So, Nigel, if your city leaders asked you how you would spend millions of tax dollars, what would you suggest? Something like a shiny new sculpture? A shelter for the unhoused? How about a big public swimming pool? Well, that's a question that more city governments across California and the rest of the country have decided to start asking their residents, from Los Angeles to Sacramento and even an elementary school in the city of Merced. It's called participatory budgeting. It's where residents propose and directly vote on actual city services and infrastructure. So today, we're going to take a long look at this process and how it's played out in the first city in the nation to have adopted it citywide, Vallejo, in the Bay Area. Cap Radio News and Features editor Pauline Bartoloni became a little obsessed with this democratic experiment. She covered it as a reporter for Cap Radio back in 2014, and it's taken on a new significance with racial justice movements and equity discussions. Pauline joins us on the show today. Pauline, welcome. Thanks. Glad to be here with you guys. So, Pauline, how exactly does participatory budgeting work? And for the sake of this episode, can we shorten participatory budgeting to just its initials, PB, because it's kind of hard to get that word participatory out? (laughs) Well, yeah, thank you. That'll make it easier for a lot of people. Uh, So... PP can take a lot of different forms. For cities, it can involve a very small portion of the city budget, like one or three million dollars. And residents will be invited to propose specific ideas about how to spend it, maybe in an assembly or a public meeting. And folks can throw out anything, any idea, like cleaning up the park in their neighborhood or restoring a historic building around the corner from them. And in the case of Vallejo, the ideas are vetted over several months, like nine months. And in the end, all the residents are invited to vote on the projects in a public election, like ballot and everything. Nine months sounds kind of time consuming. But isn't that why we elect people in the first place? Like, aren't city council members and their staffs the experts in these things? And frankly, isn't that what we pay them for? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question, Nigel. Proponents say, though, that this is a very direct form of democracy where people can feel some closeness with city government and get a better understanding of how budgeting works and maybe feel a little ownership over their tax dollars. If people say, hey, I voted for that park in my neighborhood to be cleaned up and it actually got renovated, they can feel part of that. So, Pauline, why are you looking at this now? Well, PB has been around for about a decade, but there seems to be more interest in doing PB around cities in the U.S. now. Sacramento is about to launch its version, so is Los Angeles. And the impetus has really been recent conversations around economic justice, inequality, and defunding the police. I thought it would be a good time to just look at a city that's been doing it for a while to give the new cities a sort of lessons learned playbook. Okay, Pauline, so I want to hear this story about the hyper-democratic budgeting in Vallejo. And to our listeners, please sit back. We are going to go long on this. So let me set up the scene first. Vallejo is a medium-sized city in the San Francisco Bay Area. And not only is it very racially diverse, it also has an interesting cross-section of society. It's a Navy town. They had a large base that closed down in the 1990s. And there's also a strong legacy of public sector unions. And more recently, artists and, and transplants from other more expensive Bay Area towns have been moving there. But everyone felt the pain during the Great Recession in 2008, which sent the city into a bankruptcy. Longtime former resident Marty Brown said home foreclosures were rampant and morale was really low at that time. You know, people were leaving in droves. They were, it was constantly being talked about getting out of the city. 
Back then, Brown was a local activist pushing for things like public access to the waterfront, and she didn't like the way Vallejo spent money. She had learned about a city called Porto Alegre in Brazil, actually, that was using PB, and she thought, this is what Vallejo needs to heal after the bankruptcy. So she ran for city council. My thought process was, as we were, especially after I got elected to office, was how do you get people re-energized and re-engaged in their community, reinvested and loving, if you will, their community enough to stay, to stay committed and help them be part of the rebuilding process. So when Brown got elected and made the pitch to city council, it wasn't an easy sell. PB would use part of a new sales tax, which the mayor at the time, Osby Davis, didn't like. He and others thought any new revenue should go to meeting basic needs after the bankruptcy, like funding infrastructure and public safety. Here he was back then. Now is not the time to engage in a new um, philosophy about how we spend the monies, especially when we're hurting so bad that we have our staff working double and triple time. We've taxed them to the max. We've asked the public to accept sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, and yet we're sitting here. Councilmember Brown really clashed with this mayor. She said the feeling at the time was elected officials know better than the people what the city needs, and there was a fear that the public would vote on so-called unicorns and rainbows, like superfluous projects. So, Pauline, what happened here? Well, PB was voted through by a slim margin, and Vallejo got nationwide attention for it, actually. The first year, the public had more than $3 million to play with. I talked to a man named Nestor Aliga about this time. He's a leader in Vallejo's large Filipino-American community and a veteran. He was pretty excited about it. Like most people, I said, you know what? This could be interesting. It's a way to engage more people in the city process that is also has a backing of some financing, if you will. Back in 2012, Aliga was a facilitator at the initial brainstorming assemblies, actually. It, it was fun. We had everybody put their ideas on a white sheet of paper with yellow, yellow sticky notes. And some people came in with no notes and some people came in with <laughs> typewritten uh, ideas. And Pauline, you actually covered one of these brainstorming sessions, right? Yeah, I did. Actually, that was back in 2014. It was at a local school gymnasium and dozens of people were sitting at lunch tables. Actually, here's a snippet of a report I did about that back then. The crowd breaks up into small groups. My name is Stacy. We have each with a volunteer facilitator and note taker. Vince, Carl. My proposal is uh, street lighting. I kind of want to piggyback on what was on the ballot last year, um, the outdoor fitness equipment at the waterfront. Okay. Say a day use area for the homeless, like what kind of, can you elaborate a little more? The renovation of the Herbert House at One Kentucky. That sounds so foreign now, just strangers sitting next to each other and breathing <laughs> and talking. I know, right? But, you know, this could still happen over Zoom, right? Yeah, so I want to hear about what actually made it to the ballot in Vallejo. Okay, well, the first year, Vallejo residents had 33 projects to choose from. Things like a weekend flea market, a blues festival, outdoor fitness equipment on the waterfront. Voters 16 years and older, actually, could take their pick of six projects on the ballot. 
Well, that's kind of cool. I mean, I wouldn't mind like a free beer giveaway in my neighborhood. And I know I can get the votes. Yeah. Marty Brown said the first year the ideas were pouring out of people. And they didn't really have to deal with a lot of red tape and what she calls government killjoy. But that all started to change, actually. Oh, no. What does start to change mean? Well, the second year, the national nonprofit that ran the process in the beginning, they left and the city was now running the show. So Brown says the city was scrambling to figure out how to make the projects work. And they realized things had to be done differently. Some things kind of got a little away from them. And so there were a lot of things that had to be figured out on the back end, um, which was a learning process for all of us. Staff started to realize how difficult this was going to be. And as a result of that, came up with stricter rules for the next year. And I could just see, you know, I would joke with people like pretty soon it's going to be PB light. PB light. That does not sound as good or as fun. <laughs> what, what were the sticking points here? Yeah, well, one major challenge was preventing what's called a gift of public funds. Basically, doling out taxpayer dollars to individuals is illegal in California. And Vallejoans were proposing projects that would, you know, maybe employ them to build a sculpture on the waterfront, for example. And that would be a conflict. I talked to Liat Meitzenheimer about some of the other snafus. She was on the steering committee as a resident in the early years. And she sat through hours of meetings with city officials trying to figure out how to bring projects to fruition. And she felt over time, the city made it clear they supported projects that could be managed by the city or involved city property. The city was pushing back on a number of the activities I proposed because they're saying, no, you can't really prove that it's going to involve you know, everybody in the community. And so the rules started changing. And so we had a big fight <laughs> over our new rule book, trying to come with some consensus about what we could live with and still have PB. And Meitzenheimer said eventually, it felt like government officials and residents just weren't on the same team. It felt like they were telling us what to do instead of asking us how we could make it work. It just seemed like the city wasn't interested in putting that kind of time and energy in it anymore. And so that was the big fight was because that was the whole point of getting the city to work with the community to get a common understanding of how city budgets work. Well, we got to take a break. But when we get back, we're going to hear why supporters of PB still love it, right? Um, yeah, I guess it kind of depends on how you feel about potholes. More with Pauline coming up after this break. It's California State of Mind from Cap Radio and Cal Matters. I'm Nicole Nixon. And I'm Nigel Duara. We're here with Pauline Bartoloni, Cap Radio's News and Features Editor. And we're talking about what happens when citizens get involved in making decisions about the city budget. Pauline, you focused on the city of Vallejo, which has been experimenting with this for many years now. You told us all about what people were proposing and what went on the ballot, but we didn't hear about what actually got voted in. Okay, so this is where it gets really complicated or where it gets surprising, to me at least. The first year, 12 projects were voted through, and the top vote-getter was, well, take a guess. Um, I don't know, school band instruments? No. Uh, the flea market? No. Potholes. Well, the paving over of potholes, to be clear. It got like twice as many votes as anything else, more than half a million dollars. And it wasn't only popular the first year, it kept showing up year 
after year in the next five rounds of PB and Vallejo. I mean, are the roads that bad there? Well, I personally didn't notice that Vallejo's roads were worse than any other city, but there is something called the Pavement Condition Index, or PCI, that governments use to measure the state of roads. And Vallejo got a 51, meaning half of its streets are either in poor or very poor condition. Isn't fixing potholes a part of the regular city budget, though? Yeah, it is, actually. And this was really a huge frustration with some of the people who are very involved with PB. Like, this process is supposed to be for icing on the cake projects or aspirational creative projects, not meat and potatoes or things that the city already funds. The potholes is a a really classic example of what was wrong with PB in our city. Okay, this guy sounds like he has an opinion. Who is that? Okay, so that's Tom Ari Donch. He's a public sculptor in Vallejo. He proposed a project that would pay artists to paint murals and electricity boxes around town. He calls PB a rigged system. Kind of harsh words, I know, but here's what he meant by that. Whenever you have voting, you deal with a certain segment of the population, which is a minority, who really understands the candidates, really understands the issues. It's like, pick your favorite musician. And you got Bon Jovi, and you have Madonna or somebody like that, and then you have Joe Schmo, who's a really good corner musician. Well, the people who live near that corner musician are going to vote for that corner musician, but most of the people won't know them, and so they're not going to vote for him. And, you know, potholes has to do with everybody. Tom felt like he had to compete against potholes or the popularity of potholes when he proposed his public art projects. But he did manage to get it through voters that year. Here's how he did it. We ran it like a political campaign. We were out there in mass. People were out on uh, farmer's market. We had booths. When we did fairs, we had it going that way. You know, at the time, the Arts Alliance had about 110 people that came to the first meeting. And so many of those helped out by manning the booths, by putting posters up. You can still see the public art done through Doncha's project in downtown Vallejo. But he says he wouldn't take part in PB again partly because he feels that lesser-known projects that may have had a tiny budget are at a disadvantage to big-ticket items like fixing potholes. Pauline, there has to be some reason, though, why people keep voting for potholes over and over again in Vallejo, right? Well, I asked a long-term resident named Pelton Stewart this question. He was a steering committee member for a long time as well. I was excited about all of it except the potholes. Potholes wore me out. Okay, so he wasn't a fan of street repair either, but he did give a great explanation for why people care about potholes. Because it affects all of us financially. Wear and tear on our cars and us. The image of the community. I remember we had the president of another country come to Vallejo. And, you know, we literally sat here and were concerned about what route he was going to have to come here because it would be so embarrassing if he's driving up to the front on Santa Clara and he's bum, 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 because the roads were that bad. So when I bring my family here or, you know, I have guests that uh, come, you want them to see a nice bedroom community, working class folks, not trying to be, you know, Beverly Hills, just working class folks that take care of that stuff. You know, that's the image that I want to project. And um, potholes is the indicator of neglect. 
no matter what the reason is why people want potholes, you really can't dispute that in this process. At least that's what Nestor Aligo told me. He's the veteran and the Filipino-American activist we heard from earlier. He said the whole idea of PB is to increase community participation. You cannot, you know, say, well, you know what, that idea, we're going to shut that down because it's a city project. Some people would probably uh, say, well, now you're cutting me out. So, you know, it's a two-edged sword, if you will. Pauline, so to Nestor's point, what has PB done for community engagement? Well, Aliga says PB may have increased political participation among specific groups like Filipino-Americans, for example. He said there may not be a direct correlation, but maybe in the last 10 years, he's seen more Filipinos on commissions and in elected positions in Vallejo. It's uh, possible that PB had something to do with a, um, you know, awakening of some of these Filipinos uh, or giving them a taste of what city government is like, that it's not as bad or as tough or as hard as uh, people may think. And more broadly, he says that it may have helped people of different communities co-mingle with each other, like get to know each other, whether they be from the labor community, an artist, or a military veteran. So it sounds like the benefit of participatory budgeting may be more than just about what gets funded. Exactly, Nigel. That's what I found out when reporting this. I was really interested in the projects. Like, wow, why are people voting in potholes? But as I was reporting, I realized that it's more about engaging people, creating transparency in government. I talked to Marty Brown about this, actually, and she said PP is about helping people just understand how government works. People got up at the podium the first year and said, I had no idea, like, how complicated it is to get stuff done because you're using public money and it's our money. And so today I think there is maybe more of a heightened understanding among those who are engaged in PB and engaged in government of how, how complicated government really is and, and how much um, oversight there is to make sure that we are transparently and honestly and ethically spending your tax dollars. Pauline, what is the latest with PB in Vallejo? Is it still happening? Yeah, actually, there was a little pause because of the pandemic, but voting for cycle seven is now available to Vallejo residents online. And you may be interested to know that for the first time, potholes are not on the ballot. So what about the other cities that we mentioned at the top of the show? We talked about Sacramento and L.A. What is the status of PB, of participatory budgeting in those cities? Well, in Sacramento, it's still kind of in the planning phase, but it looks like it's about to launch. They slated $1 million of Measure U funds. So Measure U is a new sales tax in Sacramento, and about $1 million is going to go to PB. And an organizer told me that it will have a strong equity focus. So they're considering whether to focus these funds and on engaging certain residents in certain communities that have been traditionally been underserved. In Los Angeles, it also seems to be in the planning phase, but I hear that it's going to be launching in the fall as well. Pauline Bartoloni, Cap Radio's News and Features Editor, thank you for giving us a window into local politics in action and this experiment with democracy and budgeting. Thanks, guys. So all politics is local, and when it's already local politics, it's very local, like on your own street. Like literally the potholes in front of your house. Mm. Well, listen, we do want to add a quick program note here. 
We're wrapping up the show in the next couple weeks. October 1st will be our last show for at least a little while. If you've been listening, a huge thank you, and we do have a good show planned for our last episode. Yeah, we promise, it's good. So next week, for our final show, we're gonna take a look back at what we've all been through this year, some of the news highlights and lowlights. <laughs> so you'll wanna tune in for that, and until then, see you next week. See you next week, Nicole. California State of Mind is a collaboration of Cal Matters and Cap Radio. It's produced by Jen Picard and edited by Randall White. Antonio Munez and Chris Feltz are our engineers. Sally Schilling is our executive producer. Mark Jones is the technical director. Chris Hagen is our digital editor. Margarita Noriega and Chris Bruno are our masters of marketing. Our social media is run by Emmy Gilbert and Courtney Fong. Nick Miller is editor at Cap Radio and Joe Barr is our chief of content. Dave Lesher is editor at Cal Matters. Our theme song is Melifera Lagustica by Isaac Joel. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. You'll get notified every Friday of a new episode. That is all for now. Thanks for listening to California State of Mind. See you next week. Support for California State of Mind comes in part from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. 